All right. I am so excited. This is the first recording that I'm doing for season three of Road to the Trials. And I'm here with Danny Moreno. Danny, thank you so much for joining us for season three on Road to the Trials. Honestly, never thought my name would be in that same sentence with that podcast title, but um, yeah, here I am, and I'm excited about it. That shoot, man, you you just took the words right out of my mouth. That was actually <laughs> going to be was going to be one of the first questions I was going to ask you, but we'll just dive in right here. Obviously, people just heard my intro, and they give you a little bit of background on terms of like what you've done as a professional. We'll certainly talk more about that in in this kind of intro episode. For sure, but I shoot. Let's just skip to the last page here. <laughs> what, what about um, your journey and the and the Olympic trials in particular led you to this point where you want to pursue this at this point in your career? Yeah, I you know I've always you know been fascinated by the marathon and the distance, like in the mountains right now, but also on the roads. I'm just a big running fan, and I love following the American women's distance just, I don't know, community and how great everyone has been doing um, and the big improvements there. But I think what was like one of the biggest inspirations was last year or not last year, the last trials. I had some friends who were in the trail space and they had gotten to go and had gotten the mark. And I kind of like felt a little left out um, because it just looked like a lot of fun and just a big celebration. Uh, Obviously, it's more than that for a lot of people who are trying to make the Olympic team. But it's just a cool notch on your belt, and I feel like I can really do it, even with the time going down. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, anyone who, you know, either watched it live or the, the numerous clips and things like that, it did seem just like a huge party in Atlanta, uh, which is wild considering how nasty the weather was. But it seemed like everyone was smiling despite all of that. And I know I was supremely jealous of everyone who was down there. I was supposed to go down there. Um, I actually didn't – I wasn't able to make it because I was – I had the flu quote unquote, even though like my doctor's like, how come this is so weird. Every time I give you a flu test, it comes back negative. When I look at you, it's obvious that you have the flu. Uh, I wonder what that could have been in retrospect. Um, because I just come back from the Houston marathon, like two weeks before that. Um, yeah, it just, it does seem like a wild experience. Now for someone with your background, in terms of like you ran at UC Santa Barbara, so you were you were a college runner, and we'll talk about all of this later. You know, took a kind of a, a mini hiatus after college, which isn't incredibly rare, and then entered the trail space. It seemed like you had distanced yourself from that that brand of running. You know, even though you you know do track workouts and things like that, and you you kind of dabbled here and there on on road and track stuff, but you had really made your mark in 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 a very real sense in the trail community especially in the sub ultra trail community so to not only say all right I want to I'm going to take the take on this challenge of doing a road race but also the marathon itself it seemed like a a departure especially for someone who seemingly is at the peak of their powers so when did you 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 mentioned that you had this inkling you know 3 or 4 years ago that this was an interesting thing when did it crystallize into more than just that yeah, it's it's definitely been uh, something I've talked about with my coach for years, like even before the last trials. And between, I would say like 2019, I thought I was going to maybe run a marathon that year. Um, and it just didn't quite fit into the schedule. But I also just wasn't super in, like passionate at that time to make space for it in my schedule, I guess, also. Um, and then 2020, the same thing, like, beginning of the year right after the trials like 
everyone gets inspired. I was like, I'm going to run a marathon this year. And then obviously we had the the pandemic. Um, so that changed things a bit for that year. And then um, 2021, I was like, well, maybe I could fit it in. And we like kind of started taking steps towards it. But then I kind of just lost um, my spice for life as far as like wanting to do it. And I was so intrigued with the Golden Trail World Series. And so I strongly pivoted that way. Um, because yeah, it was just like, it was, it was a cool year to do that. And then, uh, this last year, uh, it just like, again, it was something I talked about, but like, wasn't fully committing to. Um, so long story long, I was kind of joking with my coach and I, you know, we had picked other marathons where I could kind of like get out of it. <laughs> and, uh, I said, you know, what would really keep me like focus is Boston marathon. Cause it's always been just like this wild dream of mine to run Boston Marathon. It just, like, seems like it has such a cool atmosphere to it, etc. And also just, like, the course is very intriguing to me. It's, like, not super... It just seems like a puzzle, which I think for me and, like, my trail running background, it, like, clicks a little bit more naturally for me versus something that maybe is, like, not easier but more straightforward, like a, a faster course or something. Um, so yeah, I was kind of joking around with him and he's like, well, let's see if we can get you to the leap field. And I kind of like chuckled and I'm like, yeah, we'll see. But I do have some PRs from throughout the years. Um, so he shot them over and, you know, somehow some great power decided that I was going to run Boston. Um, and it was, it was a pretty surreal moment when I found out cause, um, I still hadn't like fully transitioned to my new sponsor. Like I was still going through those things. So, um, it was just like, it was just a big moment, I guess. And I kind of like teared up a lot of, I was like, holy crap, I'm running Boston marathon. All right. I am all in. Um, and to me, like, it's only going to make me a better mountain runner, you know, different stimulus and just being in a different environment. So what was the timeline between putting in your application and, and finding out and what did you do during those days, weeks, maybe even months, um, between, between those two? Yeah, I think it was about a month, perhaps. Um, it was towards the end of 2022. Um, and yeah, we had reached out to the elite coordinator, which like the emails on the site. Um, but yeah, I think it was about a month from when we he like first submitted me to when we um, found out. And I don't know, the whole time I was just kind of like, this isn't going to happen. Like, there's no way this is going to happen. Um but it did, so <laughs> we're doing it. Yeah. So, what was the what was the basis of your like hesitation to embrace that this could happen? And I say that as you know, there are people who maybe who follow road running only who are listening to this podcast who know all the names. Like they're they're very aware of like Mel Rojas, right? They're very aware of Sarah Vaughn and, and C.J. Albertson and even Nico Montanez for, you know, all of the accolades they've had in this space. At the same time, there's an international running audience that if I gave them the list of eight people on this show, that you would be the most popular person on this whole roster because of the accolades that you've had in the Golden, uh, you know, Golden Trail World Series and some of the other races that you've done. So it, it does kind of have this like juxtaposition in terms of like your notoriety. It almost like depends on the audience. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, I think, I think in the end, what like may have helped. So yeah, I'm mostly known, I would say in Europe, I have like 
you know, people that follow me and are very aware of my accolades in the mountain space and stuff like that. And then the many years before that, the U.S. trail running community was aware of me because I was really not bumping up, (laughs) even though I was really pressured to. I just like stuck with that distance and felt like I um, gained a lot of accolades there. Um, But yeah, like with our message to Boston, from what I understand, I never saw the actual email that my coach sent, but it was kind of like this interesting thing where it's like you have this athlete, i.e. me, who can, I'll be training for a six-hour race, but I can still run a, a decently fast 5K. And so, like, I've never just focused on speed. If anything, I've always focused on strength. And so just kind of, like, presenting that in a way where it was, like, she could be maybe, like, a decent marathoner um, and would add to the field, like, a different per- – I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Right, because it, I was talking to Stephanie Fluffin and Peter Bromka about this in our intro episode that was, like, really exciting. And, and they both had, like, interesting takes, you know, in terms of, like, Stephanie talking about, like, hey, she's obviously well-versed in the sub-ultra world. She's one of the best in the entire world at this discipline. But at the same time, when you hear sub-ultra, like, in terms of time on feet, like, you might be running less time in the Boston Marathon than you are in these sub-ultra competitions. And at the same time, as Peter brought up many times, he's like, you know, even if you're talking about ultras, like – she's climbing up a mountain, like her heart rate is probably getting higher than it will be in the marathon, even if she's running a bigger distance. So like, it's not like she's not used to putting out this extremely high output as opposed to like, again, this isn't a knock on anybody, but say someone's like only focused on hundred milers, right. Or even more flat hundred milers. They, they might not get used to some of the training that would, you know, necessitate this, this higher output. Whereas like with some of the stuff that you're doing, you're already hitting it. Even if you weren't trying to be in like 1635 K shape, you know, perpetually throughout every year, which I thought was a, a, an interesting tidbit in your podcast with Dylan Bowman back in September. And it's like, Oh, this could really work out pretty well. So when you think about the marathon itself as a race, how does it fit into the other things that you have, have done and worked on? Yeah. I think there's a couple of things. Like one is I found that some of my most successful or many of my most successful trail and mountain races is that I'm able to come back really strong uh, on these courses and like finish the latter half faster, or I'm just holding the same pace. Um, Despite the terrain still undulating, you know, K's up and K's down. Um, And so I feel like in the marathon, a lot of that is that second half and like how you deal with that. Again, this is my debut. So this is all just speculation and me try to learn from other folks but that seems to be a very key part is like most people can get through the half in in the time that they're aiming for but then can you double that and so I just feel like I've done that for years like I have focused so hard on that second half and especially this last year with the Mont Blanc marathon and OCC like those were both races where you know I made I found my way onto the podium and in the latter half Um, another thing is like my body can just take a beating and that's all I hear about the marathon. And so I'm just really excited about that because I feel that I just have, you know, built my body to be as resilient as possible, especially in these long races where I'm already out there for four hours. And then I have five to 10 K of downhill left. Like you're, you're just like with gravity and everything, your body is in so much pain 
and that's where I feel that I thrive. And so again, I just feel like I can apply that to the marathon, that mental fortitude, as well as like having a resilient body that can take a beating. So yeah, I'm excited. I think honestly, the the most difficult part for me will just be the maintaining of the speed throughout the entire race, because in mountain racing, I'll be going 10 minutes up a steep incline, which, you know, depending on which race it is, could be really impressive to to some people and be like, wow, she's running 10 minutes at 9,000 feet up 1,500 feet of climbing, right? But to a normal runner, it's like, wow, she's only running 10 minute pace. But then like, I can transition that to then 530, 630 pace running down like a technical downhill. So even though the heart rate output is like the same the entire time, the um, the undulation in pace is quite different. But again, that's why I'm attracted to Boston is, you know, looking at people's times and their splits, like there is a slight undulation. And so again, I just think that it will be more applicable for me in my debut. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and hearing some people from the ultra world specifically uh, talk about marathon racing in the past, it, it is interesting um, in terms of comparing it to how maybe someone like Carmen Graves, who's going to be on this podcast, would talk about, right? So she's someone who's traditionally run the steeple, the 5K, right? So for her, like, this is a very different endeavor. Obviously, she's run a ton of miles in her life, but she's going to be approaching it like, hey, I really need to work on my endurance, right? Maintaining, you know, maintaining speed for a long period of time. Whereas someone like yourself almost comes at it from like a completely different point of view. Like, hey, this is going to be a faster, you know, like more speed driven endeavor than I have used in the past, which is like such a different thing. I think for most people approaching the marathon, certainly most of the people listening to this would never come at it from that angle. And what do you think are the positives of approaching the marathon from that perspective, as opposed to jumping up in mileage to the marathon? Yeah, I will say it is, it is a, a bit messing, not messing with my mind, but something I'm very aware of that I'm like, wow, I only have a couple of hours. Like that's going to go by so fast. Um, but <clears throat> Yeah, I think to me it's I guess I'm just not I'm not scared of the the body really taking a beating as much because again, I'm used to gravity on downhills really pushing me. Um but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't really know how to answer that question. I I'm really obsessed with speed right now and like at the same time I have no concept of marathon pace. Like, it's kind of weird. Like, I can look at a mountain profile and be like, oh, that'll take me X amount of time. But looking at Boston, I just have no idea. So I'm I'm actually kind of leaning into that kind of ignorance is bliss um, through this very beginning part of my cycle in that um, I just don't know what's possible for me. So I'm just going to listen to my coach and go forward with it. <laughs> Which is also, I'm guessing, like really exciting, right? I mean, you've done a lot of like, similar things in the past in terms of like, all right, this is what I'm going to do, Golden Trail World Series and, and all these trail races. And there's certainly a bevy of them to choose from. But at the same time, approaching a new endeavor uh, can really be an exciting thing. Going back in time a little bit, you ran at UC Santa Barbara um, and then you know, as, a, as a kind of like, you know, similar profile as to maybe some of the other people who are going to be focusing on this show. Post-college, you took a very different path 
than a lot of them. So can you just walk us back in terms of what were your college experience like and how that then kind of set up a series of decisions that kind of had you diverting from maybe a lot of your college peers and doing so in a very, you know, obviously a very successful way because here you are at the top of your field while still maintaining, um, again, a, a, a day job, which, you know, I think when people think of a pro runner, they don't think about that, but you know, you hold, you hold it a, a day job as well. So it's a really interesting thing to, uh, to see, but I think I'd love to go back in time again to, you know, 22 year old Danny, 20 year old Danny, and the things that happened that set up um, the, the career path that you ended up following. Yeah, I think it was kind of a combination of stuff. Um, I came into UC Santa Barbara with maybe not intentionally, but a little bit of pressure because, you know, I was one of I, I, it, I kept being told that I had been one of their biggest recruits in some time. Um, and so that I held a lot of quote unquote promise, you know, that hopefully by the time that I left my collegiate career, I would have multiple school records and that's, that's who I was going to be and kind of like setting me up for that. Um, and it definitely didn't go like that. I had a lot of struggles with injuries. Um, the training at first was just such a different stimulus from my high school training. I was pretty low mileage in high school maybe 30 miles a week. Um, and so we just kept bumping that up because that's what had worked for a lot of this coach's athletes before. Um, and some that had done really well, a lot of people maybe don't realize, but Stephanie Rossing is also UC Santa Barbara, um, as well as Scott Smith, both who ended up on NAZ Elite for some years. Steph Rossing is obviously still running for them. But they were kind of... Can we just say that's people who don't know that's Steph Bruce now. Oh, yeah, people Stephanie. who are... <laughs> No, it's fine. I just want to make sure that if you were like, oh, wait, who is that? I feel like I should know who that person is. <laughs> That's Yeah. And so that was like the team right before me. And they came out of that program. And so it was, I was enthralled by that. It's like, yeah, I would love to be as good as her, maybe beat some of her records that she set while she was there just give me what she, what she had sort of thing. And so that's exactly what happened, not just for me, but everyone on the team. Um, so yeah, I, I dealt with also just like fueling issues, not really knowing exactly what would be best for my body. So I kind of fluctuated and like dealt with injuries that were due to that. Um, and finally, kind of like my junior year, some, it, it like came around and I finally had the year where I'm like, all right, I'm on track. Maybe I will do um, the Olympic trials that were coming up. Uh, I believe it was the year after that. And so because it went well, it was like, all right, now that your body can finally handle this, let's give you even more. And I was kind of all for it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that totally makes sense. And then I broke again uh, for the last few years. And so it was just kind of this frustrating experience where I almost felt like I wasn't I couldn't, I couldn't do that professional level work. Like to me, I had to run a lot in order to be a professional. And if I wasn't an all American, then I wasn't going to be professional. It was like, it seemed very black and white to me. And I wasn't aware of like clubs and like how that could work. And like the road running scene, I wasn't interested in running a marathon. And so I took time away because I'm like, well, there's nothing left for me. <laughs> like, I wasn't All-American. I don't want to do road marathons. That's it sort of thing. Um, and so I took some time, and I, I really enjoyed that. I was an outdoor guide. I kayaked. I climbed. I bought a motorcycle. 
started spear fishing, started doing all these other activities. I think just trying to kind of like stimulate my my soul in the same way that running did. And I just found that it 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 didn't. Um, and I learned about trail running. And so I immediately jumped into that space and it it kind of felt perfect for my personality for what it was all along because I had lived in Yosemite for a summer and always loved the outdoors and visiting Mammoth and stuff like that. Um, and then, yeah, fast forward and then here I am today. Yeah, that is that is remarkable, and it's interesting that you were able to you know experience these new things again. You you sound like you grew up like as a camping kid, and like you talked about before, like growing up in L.A. and you know to, to, using your own words, like "Hey, I grew up in a concrete jungle." It's not like I was like living out like out of some camper the whole time. Like you got to experience these new things and then quickly adapt them to your personality, and not only that, but like expand the, you know, all the hobbies you were doing. When I hear you talk about spearfishing, I think of like that show alone. Where yeah. they're like out there, like in the in the Arctic, like trying to survive for like months at a time, and it, it does seem like wow, like you have to be really like, super tough to do all of this stuff. But it's it is interesting how like it all kind of coalesced, but at the same time, you're able to in- incorporate it into an already pre-existing hobby and something that was much more than a hobby. Obviously, if you're a college athlete in the running set, so as you got into trail running, how were you able to make sure that tr- that your journey in trail running didn't just become like a duplication of what had happened in college and, you know, and and then suffer the same sort of um, injuries or burnout or the like. Yeah, I think I, well, what I did is I just let myself fall back in love with the sport at my own pace. I didn't like, I was kind of getting sponsored by rabbit at the time and almost by accident. I was almost sponsored by Hoke almost instantly after a couple of races. Um, but I still just kind of took everything at my own pace, despite people asking, like there was, it was always this precedent that I was going to move up in longer distance. And at first that sounded really cool to me, but then the more I got out and got lost in the forest and, you know, spent nights just (laughs) making my way back to my car and getting lost. Um, Yeah, I just loved the sport for what it was at that time. And for me, it was those shorter distances and being able to race as much as possible uh, because I did love, I always loved racing. Like in the end in college, when I was injured, I was mainly just trying to get back to racing. Like the day-to-day was still kind of tough and this weird ambiguous space for me, like enjoying the process, which I very much enjoy now, but before it was all about racing. Um, so yeah, with trail running, I was able to race a lot and there was a lot of local races, which were really fun. And then, um, with the sponsorship, I did have like a little bit of support to be able to travel to different places. And then that just opened my mind even more, uh, traveled to Europe for the first time. And as that started to happen, I also just, I think what had happened is like when I first got into trail running, as much as I took time off, I still, was able to utilize some of that fitness that I'd built up in college. Um, and so at first I was kind of winning races. Then it was like getting a little tougher. And then my butt was getting beat real bad. And then I went to Europe and then I got beat really bad. And I started to realize that <laughs> maybe part of the fun for me is the winning and like trying to be on the podium or like just getting the most out of my body. And so realizing that I wasn't at my full potential, I was like, well, I really don't want to coach, but 
maybe a coach is good for me because I have no idea how to train myself. Um, so yeah, I found my coach in Santa Barbara and then that just like elevated my experience even more. So when you kind of went from dalliance into trail running, seeing some success and then wanting more success once you kind of stepped up in terms of a level of competition, uh, even going to international races, which is a, it's a huge deal. And, uh, you know, the trail running community in Europe is, is pretty robust. And as, as shown by the Golden Trail World Series, spending a lot of their time there, um, when that started to manifest itself in terms of your own running and then wanting to be more competitive with those placements and in those races, you know, was there any potential like negative cycle backsliding in terms of the mentality of how you were approaching your training as like it go again, going from like, Hey, this is fun. This is exciting to like, Hey, now I want to compete. I want to be all in this. I'm hiring a coach. And it seems like the professionalization of it for you. Um, were you still able to have the same joy and passion for it as that started to increase? Yeah, it was kind of interesting. Cause I say like, podium and I don't know if you know this I quickly backtracked in that I just like wanted to get the most out of myself and so showing up to the line knowing I wasn't fully prepared in what I knew I could do was starting to bother me um because yeah I could get 10th place but as long as I know that that was my best self like that's what's nice if I get on the podium that's a little bit nicer but that was a little tough um even at that time so yeah I was very aware of that. And I think what I learned, one of the biggest things I learned during that little hiatus away from running is just becoming a more well-rounded person. Um, in college, I found that, and it was also perpetuated by, you know, my mentors at the time that if you wanted to be a good runner, like you just run and you say no to a lot of things, like not just, things that could get you hurt, but in life, like say no to this, this, this. And so I very much followed that because that's what I thought you were supposed to do. And so during this hiatus, I said yes to everything. Um, And I tried a lot of new different sports and I was up to staying late and, you know, maybe crazy, you know, get only six hours of sleep instead of eight. Um, (laughs) So I just felt like it was a really good exploration for me to realize how much happier I am when I'm well-rounded. And so when I started trail running, I still continued to do, like, I was skydiving at the time. I was still spearfishing. I was snowboarding. Like, I was still doing all of these things. Um, And I think what happened naturally is that I didn't start committing more time to running because someone was telling me to. It was because I wanted to. Um, And that's where I am today where, like, I just feel... I am committing the same amount of time, probably actually less than I was in college, but I'm also like very attentive about my relationships um, with my friends and my family and committing just as much time there and to other activities that I still enjoy snowboarding and stuff like that. And so I think trail running helps a lot with that because I feel that um, I can get into these different spaces and it's like, it's still running, but it's adventurous and in a different kind of way from the road or the track. And it seems like that fits in perfectly with some of the European aesthetic that we have seen around trail running again at, at any distance, even for the ultra distance in terms of like, just that this is just part of what it means to live an outdoorsy lifestyle, as opposed to this kind of monoculture around this one activity. Yeah. 
A hundred percent. And I think it just helps, you know, it, it, it depends like what your goals are, right? Like if you're trying to be the best marathoner in the world, then yes, you might focus quite a bit on the roads and the track and stuff like that. And that's totally fine if that's what makes you happy. I think in the end, it's really just like what makes you happy at the end of the day? What's going to create a sustainable lifestyle for you? Not so much in the environmentally way, but like where you're going to want to get up and you're you're happy most of the time. There's going to be some hard days no matter what. That's life. And you work through those challenges. And that's what makes it beautiful. But like if you can be optimistic and excited about running for example that's what we're all talking about here it could be something for something somebody else like how is that sustainable to where it feels natural and not forced and so I found that and so now you know roundabout way coming back to the road marathon now at 30 years old instead of 22 or 23 I just feel like I'm in such a good place where it does like I'm doing it because I want to do it it's not because someone's telling me it's what I'm supposed to do and because it's what I want to do, I'm going to invest that much more time genuinely and excitingly um, to where I could show up on the day, hopefully at my best. Speaking of doing what you want to do instead of what you're being pressured into, I mean, that also is part of the, the trail world, not just like, hey, college athletes coming out and like, hey, when are you going to get to the marathon? That's what pays, so on and so forth. It's not too dissimilar from trail running. I mean, even when we talk about like the genre of running you're in, oftentimes it's categorized as sub ultra trail running, which means like the default is ultra, right? If you yeah. have to say sub ultra as the descriptor, that means obviously ultra is the default, at least from a language perspective. So no, I think that's it's an interesting thing. So talk a little bit about like, what about these kinds of races, um, these shorter ultra races, again, not sh- shorter in distance, obviously it's still a long, a long period of time, right? This isn't like a, a trail 5k necessarily, right? So they are, they are still an outlay, a huge outlay of time. But with that said, they are shorter. They, it is sort of niche within the sport, especially in America, right? A lot of the the, the, the high-profile races um, of this variety are, are European races. So just talk to me about, like, why this is where – this is what you gravitated towards and why amongst all the choices that you had, you still want to stay in that realm. Yeah, it's been an interesting evolution of the Sub Ultra. Um, just while I've been in the space, you know, half a decade or so, uh, it's. I think there's a lot of there's a couple of components. I think one of the first things is in North America, there's this romanticized hundred miler that everyone talks about. Not, I'm just saying, like generally that distance. Um, and so it's definitely more prevalent in North America, whereas the Europeans have always been fascinated with the sub ultras and like some of their biggest races are sub ultras, the three big beans, the Gama, Mont Blanc Marathon and Sierra's now. And those have all been around for over a decade at this point. Um, and they've always just been fascinated with them. Some, some of them longer than a decade. And I think a lot of that transition has to do with like maybe like schema and stuff like that and having VKs always ingrained throughout their trail running culture. Uh, whereas in the U.S., we were we gravitated more towards the longer distances. And there is a lot of cool history and lore behind these races, like Western states first being a horse route or horse race and stuff like that. Um, and so we just like gravitated towards those. But for me, when I started racing, I just – 
realized that I could race a lot more <laughs> if I didn't run 100 miles. And it was kind of an interesting nexus in the sport in that there was really not a lot of support for sub ultra like when they signed when hoka signed me they told me i was their only sub ultra athlete like that focused on sub ultra but with the anticipation it was kind of like you're our only sub ultra like kind of like a novel thing but like you're gonna run further right was kind of like always uh, (laughs) like we're signing you now but like in a couple years you're gonna be doing western states and at the time i was drinking the cola i was like oh yeah i'll be doing western states and stuff like that obviously that's still yet to happen um but yeah i just realized i could race a lot and also like i realized i was in a unique position in that i really wasn't enthralled with just being a professional runner Again, just like going through that time in my life where I really enjoyed doing all these different activities. And at that time, I was working two um, various different jobs. But I just liked that well-roundedness. Whereas in college, I did work, but it wasn't full-time. And I was an athlete, but I would definitely call myself an like an athlete student, not a student-athlete, with how much time I was committing to it. And just... I think most I think most college athletes would would absolutely echo yeah. that sentiment. Even even Division three athletes like myself would echo that sentiment. Yeah, and so um, you know, post college, take this hiatus, refine this roundedness that I just felt I was starting to thrive in. Started to trail run, but didn't want to be a, a full time runner. So I ended up you know starting to work at a tech job, um, and that in an odd way enabled me to keep running sub ultras because there just wasn't a lot of money in this space. And so, and I was okay with that because I loved it. And again, going back to maintaining and sustaining my happiness and like what I thought was a healthy way. I'm like, I'm just going to do what I want because for five years I didn't do what I wanted. Like, for example, I wanted to run the steeplechase. No, you can't run the steeplechase because you're our five and 10 K girl. So it's just kind of like this resentment to not being able to do what I wanted also. Um, And then, yeah, I'm just really happy I I stuck with it because it made me even more fiery and passionate about getting better at it because it's what I wanted to do. And, like, I recognize that is also something that I'm blessed with. Not everyone always gets the choice to do what they want, which, like, that sense of gratitude helps me lean in even more into it. It's like, I am lucky that I get to just choose and like participate in the sport that I want to do. And I don't have to worry if it's super monetized for me or not. Um, and then, you know, now years later, the sub ultra space is picking up, there's more money in it. And it's kind of like, <laughs> I feel like a sort of vet and that I'm like, dang, I'm really happy I stuck with it. And like, now I get to see it go through this new evolution and like i'm still competitive like i can still kick it around i'll say holy cow (laughs) what a year you had in 2022 (laughs) i could kick it around with these young guns uh these young 20 year olds and you've been uh, 30 for like 10 seconds you can't talk like that (laughs) i feel i that's what i feel like though sometimes i'm like you're still in school what's going on um but it's something i'm just really proud of that i I stuck to what i was passionate about and you know got better and got better and now i get to be on for like this new awakening in the sport and like it's just the beginning like it's gonna pick up even more traction and it's so interesting how like 
even as someone like I'm, I'm trail novice, right? Like I've done like two trail races in my, in my life. I'm doing my first trail ultra, like in, in like six weeks. And for me, like as a 42 year old, like I'm getting into this much later. I've, I've followed trail for decades, but I just haven't, I just hadn't been involved in it as an athlete and seeing like the golden trail world series, like embrace YouTube in a way that is just extraordinary and seeing that everyone who buys a new TV, right? Like they're all smart TVs. Now they all connect the internet. You don't even need Roku stick anymore. And like YouTube is like basically the most popular channel on TV at this point, you don't even need your phone or your, or your laptop. And it's just so interesting. Like the, the, the production value of the golden trail world series to say nothing of what brands put out for their athletes and just even amateur runners like myself who I don't do this, but who, you know, there's, there's that bevy of runners who go out there and like put out a ton of videos on like trail and ultra stuff. And it's like in sub ultra, I should say. And it's so interesting, like how much content is out there now. And that's really interesting and very good on video because of the locales and just the different scenery type things. And it's just so interesting. And to say nothing of like the technicality of the running terrain, right? Like no one's going to be like, let's look at the ground on Boston, Boston, on the Boston Marathon route to see what, you know, Danny is stepping over. Like, but at the same time, like you go run Sierra's and all, like I want to see what, what's happening like underneath their feet. And it's just such an interesting thing. And and it's amazing to watch. And I I swear, you know, the amount of nights I have not slept very well because I've just like gone on YouTube deep dives, like grown for a world series and things like that on, on YouTube. It's like probably more numerous than I would like to tell my coach, but at the same time, it's really engaging content and sub ultra lends itself to that sort of thing because just the, the amount of time on feet it's, it really works well for that kind of format. So it really is engaging, which lends itself to the next question with the rise of all of this stuff, this is also the same time that you are now embarking on the marathon in such an interesting way. So talk to me a little bit about, we're going to get into the business side of things here and also dovetails nicely with what you just talked about, like wanting to do the things that you want to do in the way that you want to do them. You recently had a change in sponsor. You're now with Adidas Terex. So what was that conversation like in terms of like telling them, here's my goals and not all of them are going to be trail. Yeah, um, they're really receptive to it. Uh, They're really nice about it. They're like, all right, we'll make sure you have the fastest legal shoes possible on the day um, to help you with that. And um, yeah, I think it's it's very understood. You know, my my pitch to them, if you were to say, is like it's only going to make me a better mountain runner. And the mountain runners that I'm currently mixing up with. I would say like 85% of them have a road marathon time. And then that next level that I want to hopefully be with this year, they all have marathon times and they're like quite good. They're, they're, they're very good. Um, I think people assume mountain runners are quote unquote slow, but <laughs> the top mountain runners, most of them have run under two thirty, Um, and so and, you know, Nike kind of being our, our pride and joy in the space right now has run 222. And so it's just, I think it's actually going to be more of the norm that people start to incorporate uh, more road racing and track racing. Uh, I've always been like a huge proponent of it. That's why we've always like done those workouts throughout the years and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, this is like, I think this is just that stamp 
that I've been putting in the work over the years. Now we're going to have a, a hyper focus on it. And then to take that speed then into my summer mountain racing season, which is pretty much like the premier season. I'll, I'll miss the first part of the Golden Trail Series with Sagama. Um, but June through August, you're just hammering away. So regardless if I was doing a road marathon or not, I would be taking this time to build up a big base. This year, it's just it just looks a little different. Um, so yeah, they, I mean, they were like, yeah, sounds cool. Just as long as you do mountain races too. I was like, oh, I have plenty of mountain races. Um, and with <laughs> mountain racing too, like what we have is kind of the, the Q1 is a lot of qualifying races for larger ultra races. So you have the golden ticket races for Western people are trying to get into OCCCCC UTMB um, for people who, who don't know the mountain space. And then you transition into the mountain running season, which is typically May to like beginning of September. And then you transition again to championship season where most of the championships take place, like the sky running championships. The, the WMRA is actually in June this year, which we're not too stoked about, but it's still a really good time. Um, it's a little bit earlier than usual. And then the golden trail, and then you still have other races. So yeah, I still have plenty of, of mountain racing on my schedule, which I'm really excited about. And you just mentioned before, and this is what I wanted to bring up too, like all of a sudden, like one of the best, maybe the best female trail runner in the world last year, not named Courtney DeWalter, like again, ran a 222 marathon, like that isn't a coincidence. And we've seen this slow evolution. And I think part of it is also regional, kind of where you happen to live. But like this evolution of like, no, we're going to go just like slow jog, not slow jog, but like, you know, seven hours in the mountains. We have we have two handhelds and three gels and we're just going to go out all day. Right. Kind of kind of vibes right? the Anton Kropitschka era, Jeff Rose and Ann Trayson and all of those folks. And not Ann Trayson so much because she was like running to and from work. She was like run commuting like 100 mile work weeks. <laughs> it's crazy. But, you know, but then and that has slowly evolved over time to something that's you know seemingly very different, but also regional in a sense. And it is interesting how you're talking about like, hey, the training is different, but not wholesale different. So. We're going to talk much more about training for Boston in our next episode and, you know, in six weeks or so when we're getting a little bit more Boston specific and marathon specific with our conversation. But right now, living in Mountain uh, Lakes, California, talk to me about like what running looks like for you right now and how it may have differed from the past and also like how weather affects it. Right, because you live you live at a high elevation. I've seen some pretty wild Katie Azimuth Instagram stories of like the snow, like basically two people high they're measuring snow by people not inches so it's, it seems like a pretty wild scene over there yeah it's been an interesting winter um so uh, you know the fact that we have going around is we have more the most snow than any other snow resort in the world right now um so it has in previous winters i actually saw dirt a little bit longer um but this year it's just been snow and ice um but yeah, I would say the biggest difference is I'm on the treadmill a lot more. Uh, so I've learned to quickly make friends with the treadmill only because I actually love running on the snow. Like I think it's great for trail and mountain running specifically because it really strengthens your stabilizers. It's like some people don't like because it, it feels like sand. That's honestly why I love it. It's like a little hard each step. Um, I can still like get on trails and stuff like that. Um, and I can like start to really work my downhills without 
the super pounding of like the hard dirt and hard rocks that I'll get all summer. So it's like a really good transition and I can do it almost every day. So the past few winters, I've done a lot of snow running and it's been fine. Um, but really just trying to increase my frequency in my legs and just getting learned like better at faster paces. Um, I realized that I can't be running 10 minute to 12 minute pace every day on the snow. Um, and I need to continue to work on that running economy. Uh, so yeah, that's why I'm on the treadmill a little more, but what is nice is just about 50 minutes south of Mammoth, there's Bishop, and that drops down to like four or 5,000 feet, and there's not a lot of snow there. Um, there's actually quite a bit of dirt, depending on where you run. And so on the weekends, I just have committed to running down there. And then um, for the first time ever, I'm doing like what I think is like a more commitment to that professional lifestyle, but I'm going to go down to sea level a couple times here and there uh, to get some bigger... 10 week or not 10 week, 10 day to 14 day blocks, um, to get me sharp for the marathon, which I've never done that before. I'd prefer to just stay up here, but, um, I know that's what's best for me. And is that also just in terms of like being able to reach those paces without like, <laughs> like your heart beating out of your chest because like you're like low on oxygen. Like, I mean, obviously you're used to, you know, redlining, but usually it's because you're on like a 20% grade, I would assume, as, as opposed to like redlining on flat ground. But people who don't know, like, again, for someone like yourself, like hitting, you know, critical velocity type paces at 9,000 feet is basically impossible because like you can't get to that speed without like your lungs bursting because of just your your aerobic fitness. Yeah, a hundred percent. And then you layer in, you know, this morning I went for a run and it was two degrees. And so it being extra cold, it makes it even that much harder for your lungs to get going <laughs> and for you to uh, bust out those fast paces. Um, but yeah, just getting used to those faster, faster paces that I'm going to have to, you know, settle in for the whole 26 miles or so. <laughs> so, um, Leading into our next conversation will be roughly six weeks from now, which I'm really excited about. Before we have that call, are there any other races on the calendar or any things that you're going to be doing in preparation for Boston? Yeah, so I'll be going to Arizona uh, the next two weeks um, to get some warmth. I actually have uh, a Terex training camp there for a week, so I'm actually really excited about that because I'll I'll be actually doing more trails that week uh, with some speed. Um I just totally believe that the two complement each other, especially training for Boston and with the hills there and your quads having to be strong. Um, the trails really get the quads strong for sure. Um, so I'll be going there and supporting some athletes at the Black Canyon uh, 100K, which is one of those ticket races. Uh, so I'm really excited. I think that'll give me a surge of inspiration because I've just kind of been grinding it out by myself. Uh, one of the many reasons I chose the Adidas team is they do a lot of these team-oriented activities, um, and I was very much craving that. So I'm really excited about that. Um, and then I might be doing a half marathon. It's not like the typical half marathon where it's you find out you get your PR, and then that's you're going to help you get your pace for your goal marathon. This would be more of you know during still a high volume week let's just see where the legs are at when they're tired sort of thing. Um, so it probably won't be like a PR crushing performance, um, but just to like get back on the roads again. Uh, I haven't really raced on them 
in <laughs> in months. Uh, so it'd be nice to just get out there and, and get those nerves going, that excitement going, etc. Um, and that's the Rock and Roll Las Vegas Half Marathon um, because that's actually pretty close to me. It's only a five-hour drive, which five hours, I'll take that. That's like <laughs> a, a daily commute. Um, so, yeah. I love that. See, I live in Rhode Island, which means five hours is... <laughs> It's at least seven states away. Yeah. Um, like, oh my god, five hours. Um, no, I mean, hey, that's great. That's that's that is fantastic. And I'll tell you what, if you're gonna go from like, you know, running European trails, you're like, you know, what? I want to take a, I'm gonna take a little little step into road running. I don't think there's a much more like stark contrast between the Golden Trail World Series and the Rock and Roll Las Vegas Half Marathon. That's why I looked up some videos and I was like, "This is per- this is a perfect intro for sure." It's like bands and it's at night on the on the strip. And I am not a Las Vegas person personally. I think it's it's a cool place, but I don't go there unless I'm driving through. So, yeah, it seems like it would be a very cool thing. I don't know what's gonna hurt more: your lungs, your legs, or like the headache that might be induced from like just like like stimulus overload. Yeah, no, I don't know either. Uh, I'm probably my legs, probably. <laughs> probably, probably. Good bet. Um, are you planning on actually like, officially crewing any of your Adidas Terex teammates, or are you just gonna be like on course, like you know, providing support and having a good time and just like enjoying the festivities? I think we're doing like we're all sort of crewing um, because it's basically like a camp, so there'll be. Just so many rock stars there. I'm so excited about this team. Um, but we'll all be there. And then there's only a couple athletes that are actually racing. So we're going to divide and conquer. Um, and I'm sure um, – I can't remember if you get pacers at Black Canyons, but I'm sure they already have that situation. Like, But I'll be there to, like, give them stuff if they need it. Yeah. Right. I'm trying to remember. I was watching a couple of videos on Black Canyons a couple nights ago. I think it was the 2017 race. The one that Alex Nichols won the men's race and Claire Gallagher came in second in the women's race. I think it was that year. And um, they didn't th- – those two didn't have pacers, but I think it was the the second place male had a gentleman running with him for like the vast majority of the time. And the guy like looked super fresh. So there was no way he was with him the whole time or he just would have won the race <laughs> because he was like having like the time of his life running with the second place person. You're like, wait – Maybe this guy should have just raced himself, um, yeah. but he like was having like this wonderful time. But um, so it made it seem like they that they allow it, but I guess it got, that was also six years ago. So who knows? Um, yeah, who knows? Well, Danny, thank you so much for joining us, not only for this episode but for this whole upcoming year. This is going to be a blast. We'll talk about Boston next time, and then post Boston, then we'll get to talk about the upcoming trail summer, and then you know we'll see what what the fall has in store as you not only go into championship trail season but also start looking ahead to february 3rd 2024 and try to see how you can maximize that experience so danny thank you so much for coming on the show and i can't wait to talk again in a few weeks yeah thanks so much for having uh, having me and like i hope people find this interesting so they keep following along <laughs>